0: You become a youth leader, and you find yourself looking up to students and, and where their faith is at this point in their life. It gives me great confidence about what God is doing in his kingdom. Uh, it's humbling to see Christ working in you to the degree he is, guys. It's humbling. Thank you for, for sharing both in the ways you did this morning. Uh, let's pray. Father, just thank you for our grads this morning, and uh, thank you most importantly for Christ in them, working out and how they study the word with their friends and their leaders, how they share the gospel with their classmates, how they invite people to youth group and to church, how they comfort people who are different than them or struggling. We're thankful most for the, the work of Christ in us, proof of proof of the gospel, proof of the purchase that you made so long ago. It is humbling, but it's, it's encouraging, Father, to see this. And I just thank you for bringing us here today, allowing us to hear this, working in these students' lives. We thank you for this, these gifts. I also thank you for the chance to study your word with, with my church family. Most importantly today, though, I ask that they'd see the beauty in the verses that we're going to read. The, the the gripping beauty of what you've done. What your son offers us. And mostly for these grads, I just ask that you would allow your word to echo in their hearts as they, they go off to college, into careers, into marriages. That maybe something out of your word today would echo throughout this week or year or in the future so that they know who they are in you, that you are with them, that you give them direction. That that, 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 that direction is what, what allows us to uh, take the gospel into new places, to, to live and walk it out in front of others, uh, so that they can walk with us uh, towards you, Father. I, I just thank you so much for, for what you're doing here this morning, and we give you credit for that. We hope it pleases you. And it's in Christ's name that that you can even hear my words. Amen. We're going to be in Philippians 3, if you want to turn there uh, this morning, um, starting in verse 12. Uh, As I said, uh, we, we want to give you something this morning that is going to be impactful for our grads, as well as all of you, whether you're 17 or 70, I said to somebody earlier this week. And Uh, In God's providence, I was reading, uh, originally going to be sharing out of Philippians 1. We're in Philippians this summer with the youth group. and our summer activities, when we have devotions, we'll go through the book of Philippians uh, as well as on our missions trip uh, that we head off on next week. So I thought it would be kind of appropriate to share out of Philippians with you guys so you could kind of hear where they're at. Um, And it's a wonderful book. Paul's writing from prison to Philippi, to a church uh, that he's proud of. It's a positive book. He tells them often how he loves them, how he's proud of them, how well they're doing, but gives them advice. And so it's also appropriate for our grads that we are so proud of and, and gives you advice that you can take with you, Uh, and church, a church I'm thankful for. It also gives you something, Lord willing, that you'll be able to put into, uh, your walk with Christ, uh, this week. Um, As we think about grads and we think about summer and summer's heading up, I just kind of want to give you a couple pictures uh, to consider uh, that that might help you as we go through this text this morning. I just want to ask, is anybody heading to Sleeping Bear Dunes this summer? Or have you already been there? Yes, the newlyweds in the booth. Lots of you. How many of you have actually been to Sleeping Bear Dunes at least once? All right. How many of you are still cleaning sand out of your van from the last trip that you took there? I know we are. Uh, Two-year-olds help with that. So this is a picture of Sleeping Bear Dunes, specifically the dune climb. And I remember the first time or one of the early trips that we took to Sleeping Bear Dunes as a family, um, you pull off the side of the road and there's a parking lot and they kind of designate this as a place you can climb the dune because they want to minimize traffic elsewhere so they kind of direct you up the dune. And uh, so many of you know what this is like. It's kind of, well, it's exhausting. Taller than you think, steeper than you think, and probably today hotter than you could imagine sand could be. So, uh, I remember one of my first trips uh, being at the base of this dune, thinking, all you know, all day today as we've driven along Lake Michigan, it's been pretty close to the car. You can see Lake Michigan out there, blue, refreshing, uh, Lake Michigan. I'm going to climb that dune, dip my toes in Lake Michigan. I'm going to refresh myself after such a hard work, wash off the powder donut exterior and and reward myself. And those of you laughing know that when you crest that dune, you get to see another dune. And in fact, uh, I found out that there is a family in our church, I'm not going to call them out, who's actually made this hike and succeeded. I give the dad all the kudos in the world for succeeding. That's a mile and a half from that parking lot to Lake Michigan. So as you can imagine, as a teenager, I crest that dune and you get to this place where it plateaus and you can't see the parking lot behind you. You can't see what's behind you. There's just sand. And then there's, there's uh, Glen Lake, I think, in the distance. And you, more importantly, cannot definitely see Lake Michigan in front of you. You see this dune. And if you climb this dune, you see another dune. And I think you're getting the picture here. There's quite a bit of disappointment for the first-time guy that climbs that with, with the ambition of dipping his feet in Lake Michigan. So I turned around. It wasn't what I expected. I climbed that dune. I did that work. And what I saw was not what I anticipated. I think as we go through Philippians 3, the second half at least today, you could be thinking about, Paul uses some racing analogy, because racing was, was common back then. Foot races were common. Hiking wasn't as common. That was how they commuted. So it wouldn't have been as a, much of a resonance. But but I think what you can think about as we go through this passage is that moment when you're on the top of this doom. Many of these graduates have Completed something tough—a college degree, a high school degree, um, a master's degree—and—and and one of the things that I know might face them in life at some point is—is is it will not look the way you anticipate it. You're going to get to the top of something, and it's not going to be what you expect. In fact, I think that's why some people walk away from the faith. So I, back to that dune. I'm on that dune, and I think I'm not cut out for this. This is more than I bit off. I, Lake Michigan's probably not even there. Well, Lake Michigan hadn't moved. It was still where it was, still as refreshing as it was, and other people, the path continues. Other people, I could have followed what they did and and continued, and and I didn't. I made the decision that it just wasn't worth it, and I turned around, walked back down the hill, which isn't a whole lot easier than walking up, and and gave up. Even though it was there, I could have done it. So as we, add, as we uh, honor our grads this morning, and, and they've honored Christ by what they've shared with you already, and we, we thank God for that, I uh, just want to encourage the grads and all of you, church, this is, this is something that applies to the whole church, to press on. Press on. We've been in 1 Samuel, but, but today we will kick off in Philippians 3 and hear what Paul has to say for a church that is making them proud, making him glad. He begins in, in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. You'll hear that phrase a couple times. This is what he's talked about at the beginning of this, this passage is, is this resurrection life, perfection in Christ, this new life that he knows awaits whether Christ returns or calls him home. He says he's, he's not perfect. I'm not there. It's kind of humbling to hear Paul say that, the guy that we really look up to. who's written the majority of the New Testament epistles for us. uh, is saying, I don't have it all. This verse I want to sink in. He's pressing on because the reason Christ Jesus has made me his own. If you hear nothing else today, I want you to remember what Lily and Caleb shared. And I want you to remember this verse right here. Because I don't know if we all know this. Christ Jesus has made me His own. If you call yourself a Christian, if you say, Christ is my Lord and Savior, the beauty of this verse should just—it should shock you. It's done. He's done it. He's made me. Past tense. Christ Jesus has made me His own. It's more of an impact if you think about this statement where it falls in this chapter. Paul starts the chapter by saying all of the awesome things He was, all the ways He could have earned it, All the things he made and did. He says it's rubbish, but Christ has made me his own. So I think one of the things that will stick with you and your faith and and will help you stick with your faith is seeing your identity in Christ, grads. Seeing who you are in Christ. Caleb, you touched on this beautifully. Who you are in Christ is something that he did for you. Church, I I know I've forgotten this, so I imagine there's somebody else out here who can use a reminder today that Christ gives us identity. He gives us our identity. Now let's stop for a second and talk about identity, both in the context of Paul and in the context of our lives. How, how do we find our identity today? How do we see our identity? What do people find it in? Find it in careers? I know I did. Well, I'll tell you about the danger of that in a moment. Find it in relationships? Who you love? Who you are? Is your identity? See, there's a danger in that. And that your career, there might be a day where, where you're, not, you're not a good doctor. There might be a day where you're not a good accountant. There might be a day where you're not a good officer. Is this too much? Can I handle this? That really affects how you see your identity if you're finding it in your career. Worse yet, there might be a day where you lose your job. And then, and then what? What is your identity going to be rooted in? Maybe you find it in a relationship. Well, we all know relationships can change. You can lose them. Find new ones. They can get rocky. If I'm being a poor husband or a poor wife, and I find my identity in one of those roles, if I'm being a poor mother, you're probably a great mother most of the time, but there's going to be a day where you're not. And what happens if that's your sole identity? See, Paul can say Christ is his identity. Christ has made him his own because he knows what happened on the road to Damascus. If you were with us last year when we went through, a, uh, through Acts, in Acts chapter 9, Paul's blinded on the road to Damascus. He's going he's gonna to persecute the church in Damascus, but Jesus Christ encounters him on the road to Damascus, blinds him, and Paul sits for three days. And during that time, God speaks to a man named Ananias, a godly man, and says, I want you to go talk to this guy. And Ananias, probably smart, says, uh, you know, I've heard about Paul I, at the time saw. Saul. I've heard what he does. And God uses a phrase. Do you remember it from when we, when we talked to these? What he calls Saul? He says he's a chosen instrument. So Saul knows, later Paul knows, that God chose him, made him his for a purpose. It's a chosen instrument. Thankfully for us, Paul's not the only chosen instrument. You guys are chosen instruments as you go out to college, college grads, as you go to your careers. You're also chosen instruments. If you say, well, Christ is perfect, it's really hard for me to exactly grasp that my identity is in him, that I belong directly to him. I mean, I know that he's my savior. I know he died for me, but, but how, do I, how do I see that work out in my life? Well, let me give you this experiment that you can kind of apply to what you're looking at as your role right now. What you're looking at is that relationship identity, that job identity. Can you say, well, I'm, I'm Christ's doctor for that community. I'm Christ's husband for that wife. I'm Christ's mom for these kids. Maybe you could could just say that in your head. Whatever it is you do, who you are, maybe you can say, well, at least I can say this. I'm Christ's pastor for this church. I'm Christ's nurse at this hospital. It'll apply to everything. It'll apply to every relationship. And in that, you can see how it's going to work its way out. And Paul will actually touch on this passage as we continue. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead. See, this is, this is what comes with knowing your identity is in Christ. Not making light of what's behind, good or bad, but forgetting it. See, Paul is, I think, talking about good or bad things here because he had just listed all of the good things that he had done and been in life. And he recognizes that's not going to earn anything for him. That Christ made me, Christ was the active person, made me his own. I think he also recognizes all the awful things that have happened in his life. Don't own him. They they don't have control over him because Christ made me his own. And if you followed Acts when we went through it last year, you got to see all the awful things that happened to Paul. Straightening forward, again, he's using this athletic terminology. He's going to push towards this life ahead. He tells you what that's going to look like. This identity in Christ that, that He's given us by making us His own frees us up to forget what lies behind. The good and the bad. I said it, I said it once I'll say it again. That the bad things that happened to you, that you did, those things cannot own you. Christ has made you His own. He owns you. The good, all the things, the achievements, the accolades, the degrees, those don't earn it. They didn't they didn't sweeten the deal, so Christ decided to purchase you. They didn't improve your standing in front of him so that he purchased you. Paul continues, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Again, he uses this, this pushing forward. I want to ask you, as a part of your identity in Christ, adult, college student, high schooler, are you pressing on? Could that be said of you? What are, th- This year will show you if you're pressing on. It'll also... It'd also be a challenge to you uh, if you're not. It's what enables us to press on. Thankfully for Paul, he has Christ. All of the old stuff that he's thrown away, those accomplishments, were pushing him in the wrong direction. But Christ making him his own is now what fuels him. To go on to say amazing things later in this this, uh, passage and next chapter, like, I can do all things through Christ. Well, it's because he knows he belongs to Christ. So I want to ask you, if if you truly find your identity in Christ this morning, and and students, as you go on to college, and you're a college student, if you will find your identity in Christ. Grads, as you go into a career, if you're going to find your identity in Christ, are you going to allow it to become your career that identifies who you are? That's that's unstable footing. Let's continue here as our, our, our time wraps up. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Okay, so Paul says, I, I've established that my identity is in Christ. It's going to work its way out in how I think and how I act. If anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. We actually got to hear from one of our own students how God, owning Caleb, revealed to him, hey, this is not what I want for you. This is, this is not what I want you to set your eyes on. I want you to set your eyes on me. It wasn't comfortable, like Caleb pointed out, but but he revealed it. That's the good news about the identity that you have in Christ is that he's going to speak to you. You're his. He'll talk to you through his word and through your walk alongside of other believers. So out of your identity, now that you're Christ, if, if you claim to be a believer, this is the second thing I think especially college students might struggle with. You've asked them to pray. You've heard them ask to pray for direction. But I don't think it's just college students. Anybody else struggle with direction this year? How about remote youth group? You know, the two things that it's, it's like magnets facing the opposite directions. Direction. Christ will give you direction. Paul says, if you're mature, you'll think in this way. Christ will give you a, an idea of of which direction to head. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So this is what's on you, grads. Will you hold to, true to what we've attained? You've grown in your time in Oasis, in your time in your homes, in your time at Algon. We're thankful for a great school here. Are you going to keep that ground, or are you going to turn back and lose it? Are you, are you going to stay where you're at and move forward, or will you slip back? Will you turn away, unplug from church? All these options are, are ahead of you. We know that the majority of, of Christians that go into the college realm, into the early career realm, that's when your faith is impacted. And like me at the top of that, you say, I wasn't cut out for this. This is not what I expected it was going to be. So I challenge you, hold true. Don't turn around and lose that ground that you've made. Having that direction is what will enable you to hold true. If if you're alongside of other believers, Paul's going to talk about a picture here in a moment of imitation, something that you can do to hold true. He says, brothers, in verse 17, join me in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So while being humble enough at the beginning of this passage to say, I'm not perfect, I haven't made it, He knows that perfection is the eternal goal. When you you die or Christ calls you to be home, that's the resurrection life, the new body that he'll talk about at the end of this passage, the sinless existence that you'll have with Christ. He says, but right now, though, you can imitate me. He says this elsewhere in one of his letters to Corinthians, who needed to do a lot of imitating. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So he's telling you, if, if perfection in Christ seems unattainable, find somebody like me, Paul, who's imitating Christ and, and follow them. This is what we call discipleship. Okay? So you have, a, you have another decision as you go off to college and as you go into your careers. You have a decision of are you going to give up ground, unplug from church, turn away? Are you, are you going to participate in discipleship? Are you going to put yourself in a Christian community? All of these college campuses either have chapel or a, a good church nearby. Joe, we're not that far from Plainwell. So you can, you can be a part of a church that preaches the gospel that will, will disciple you. But this is a two-way street. Like I said this, at the beginning, this isn't just for college and high school grads today. This passage covers you, mature believers. Are, are you one who can be imitated? Are you discipling somebody? There's there's plenty of opportunities to do that. That could could be one-on-one. You can initiate that. You can come alongside of one of these people and say, hey, can I pray for you? Can can we talk every month just to see how things are going? Are are you taking that opportunity? Because Paul, through his letters and his church visits, was certainly making himself somebody who could be imitated. For many of whom I've often told you, this is where you see Paul's heart. Verse 18, And now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. He's covering the people who didn't hold true. Those that disengage and turn away, go back down the dune like I did. Well, he kind of gives you two options. You're either walking towards the upward call or you're walking as an enemy of Christ. I think this is people that he knew in his church. I, I'm just That's my opinion. You don't have to write that down. But it sounds like they've spent time talking, so it, so it made an impact clearly on Paul. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. He's telling you, watch these people around you that, that disengage. Watch what they put their, their attention and their, their passion into. Self-satisfaction. Things that, that feed them. Their God is their belly. I just have an image of a guy at a buffet choosing everything that he wants, everything that makes him feel good, what, what fills him up on the inside from a fleshly standpoint. That's what people who walk as enemies of Christ do. That's what people who, who have slid back, turned around, disengaged from the gospel and, and holding true and walked back down the dune do. They glory in their shame with their mindset on earthly things. That verse seems to be the verse for this, this year. This, maybe this last couple of years. Glory in their shame. When earthly things is all that a person is concerned about or consumed by, even though things are to be taken too seriously, it's just life. They glory in their shame with their minds set on things. But Paul says it's not going to be us. He tells you why here. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says this direction that that you're on as somebody who's holding true to to the, the work that you started doing, following following Christ, growing in his word, being a part of a church, in this case the Philippian church. It gives you this direction. And and that's a characteristic, that's a right that comes with citizenship in heaven. Something again, that ownership, that identity that Christ places on you, that can't be changed. It can't be taken away from you. And it causes you to to longingly await the Savior. This This is how this citizenship displays itself in you, is that you await a Savior, His return. Christ, lastly, gives us resolve. I think graduates need a dose of resolve. Maybe not for gen eds, maybe more so for gen eds, but by the time you end your college career, you will have had a moment or two where you're at doing number two or three, deciding if you're gonna continue walking down this, down this path, or if you're gonna say, college wasn't what I expected, this career wasn't what I expected, I'm out. You will encounter a moment where your identity, where your direction, where your resolve is all challenged, Maybe you feel like you don't, don't have any. But if you start at the beginning of this passage and cement in your mind that phrase, Christ Jesus has made me his own. What, what a beautiful source of identity that will be for you, and it, and it won't fail you. Here's what Paul says. Christ Jesus, this returning Savior that you can count on, that you can await, will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. He's going to do two amazing things when He returns or takes you to be with Him. This is what you can count on. gives you resolve in spite of whatever happens, college or career, 70s, 80s, raising grandkids, whatever happens, it will give you resolve that Christ is both going to transform this broken, sinful body affected by disease, injury, the fact that we know we're not perfect and to continue to make mistakes, to be like His glorious body. If you haven't heard the story of the resurrection, a a death-defeating, sinless body awaits us. This will give us resolve. As well as the fact that when when we talk, sometimes we use the phrase, make all things right. It gives me resolve to know no matter what happens out there, out there, someday, He's going to subject all things to Himself. The power that's going to give us a new body is the same power that's going to make every knee bow. So every hardship that you encounter in, 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 in the days to come, whether you be a, a high school graduate or the, the rest of the church family, knowing that the power that raised Christ from the dead living in you will also be the same power that makes every knee in the universe bow will give you resolve in your walk with Christ. Just reminders from Paul here. You can have resolve. You can continue. You can hold true. Not give up that ground. Not turn back. It, was more than, it will be more than you imagined. It will be different than you imagined. But you can go into it with a resolve. Because of your citizenship, something that can't be taken. I don't know if you know that. Christ being, making you his own. You, you were made his. That's it. You're not unmade. You're not made somebody else's too. He doesn't share you. That citizenship is yours. You can await a savior. That Savior is going to do some amazing things. He is doing amazing things. We got to see a a taste of that uh, with our students today. So I want you to think lastly as we wrap up here about this this sand dune. And and as you crest that dune with the expectation of, of what you think will be on the other side. Grads, church family, college students going into a career serving this community. Press on. Press on knowing that, that, that same power that rose Christ from the dead is going to give you a new body, continue to work in you, and make every knee bow. So press on in spite of whatever you see on the top of that dune. Press on in what, what you've started. Hold true. Don't disengage. Don't be one of the statistics of, of people who accept Christ, profess Christ as their Savior as a child, enter college, enter, enter retirement. Talk about a time where you might feel like you don't have direction. Don't be one of the people who disengages and pulls out of church, out of following Christ, out of the word. Hold true. I think of that as you've conquered this territory, don't give it back up. You've, you've made it this far, don't turn back. And lastly, stand firm. Think about that sand dune, slippery, hot, unstable sand. And Paul is giving us something that we can absolutely count on here, this citizenship that's not going to be taken away, this, this work that Christ is doing in you that will continue to be done in you. Just ask that you guys would stand firm and and find yourself in a Bible-preaching church. Find yourself in a Christian community where there are people worth imitating and where you can also disciple others. That's an opportunity extended to all of you. I'll end uh, just our time this morning together uh, as we close with music uh, with how Paul wraps up this passage. It's beautiful. Again, he's talking to people he's proud of. And, grads, we're proud of you guys for the hard work that you've put in this season. It says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. The church is proud of you. Caleb, that was, that was humbling. You're our joy and crown. Stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. Thank you.